Okay, well, today we are going to continue with our series called Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel. And we are all the way up to element six now. We started element six last week, so today is 6B. Um, It's actually kind of interesting that there are a few people here today who were not here last week. And a few of last week's people are missing today. Because I'm actually going to review a lot of, I felt like uh, we went through the material so fast last week. And we covered all the words on the list this week, plus a couple more. So I'm not, not going to recover a couple of the words from last week, but I'm only adding one or two words, and we're going to recover a few words from last week because I, I want to make sure that you understand these. When you are talking about receiving Jesus Christ, or for that matter, anything in terms of knowing God, walking with God, being a part of his eternal purposes, being a part of his covenant family, all the things that are involved with being a Christian, uh, you need to understand that the New Testament was written by Hebrew-minded people steeped in what we today call the Old Testament that should more properly be called the Jewish Scriptures. And they had mindsets that were specifically Jewish mindsets, not Greco-Roman mindsets. And then they became experts. Uh, everyone who would have grown up in Galilee that would, in, in Judea and who would have became Jesus' disciples would have at least had a working knowledge of Greece, Greek as a kid because it was kind of the language of commerce, kind of what English is in some countries today. Uh, but uh, they later, be, you know, after Pentecost, really became experts. I mean, John and Matthew... In particular, Jude, uh, uh, First Peter, because Sylvanus helped them. Some of the some of the New Testament letters are masterpieces of Greek writing, but they're using the Greek language to express Hebrew concepts. Now, you can say all that to impress people, but the bottom line is here's how it works out. Uh, when we when you talk biblical knowledge. There are primarily three Greek words for knowledge, and then uh, you, can go on, you can go on and look at words that relate to knowledge and so forth. But the more you dig into various words that relate to knowledge, they break down into two kinds of criteria. One you might call cerebral or cognitive, mental, intellectual, scriptural knowledge. I know this in my head. And that is some ways foundational to the New Testament. However, it can never be separated in biblical thinking from the other kind of knowledge. I know this in my experience. It's in the spirit of who I am. It's worked into my heart. It's by the Holy Spirit and by the power of his resurrection. It's who I am. I'm not just a good teaching about forgiveness. I'm just quick to forgive because Christ has uh, came into my life. And he has changed me in experiential knowing him. That's why 1 John 3, 3 says that when we see him, the more we experience him, the more we see him, and of course it will culminate when we see him face to face, we will be like him. The more you see him, the more you'll be like him. You can tell how much a person knows the Lord by how much they're like the Lord. We, and anyone who has this hope, if that's become inside of you an internal motivating force, faith, hope, and love, if those things are, if God is by his grace 
in your new birth and in your sanctification in Christ, work those into your life and into your spirit by his grace. Uh, those, anyone who has that hope, he says, if, if you really got it, you'll purify yourself as he is pure. If you have a kind of a passion for integrity, for righteousness, to be truthful and, and to have character, to do like you, if you have a love of character, the character of Christ, it's because God has, has done that by his grace in, in making you a new creation in Christ Jesus. And anyone who has that hope will have that pursuit in their heart. That would be a main thing that you're motivated about. You know, I often say when you're a kid, you're motivated to play. When you're grown up, you're motivated about responsibility, right? You're motivated to take care of the people who need taken care of, like kids and church members and friends and family. And your place of employment. Uh-oh. Hope I didn't just spill coffee on myself. Did I? So, um, so make sure we as we go into these things. These are not words that you can just know about. As we get into the next quite a few weeks, I don't know how many weeks we're going to be on it, we're going to look at around 30 biblical words that have to do with salvation. Now, the, the, the adjective form and the noun form of salvation that we looked at last week, and we'll touch on again this week, soteria, uh, if you want to use fancy language, is where we get the branch of theology called soteriology. But it's just studying the doctrines of uh, biblical ideas of salvation. And the biblical ideas of salvation uh, have their fountainhead or their start in receiving Jesus Christ. So I want to actually make sure, I'm going to review a few concepts today, but I want to make sure that we really understand that you have to receive him. And that is not a one-time sinner's prayer thing. That is a daily reorient yourself toward the grace of God by the gospel of God. Encounter him. You don't just read a little bit of Bible each day. You need to have an encounter with God that's life-changing, that's transforming, that changes you from glory to glory, that you touch the flavor and the aroma of his presence in such a way that you are, have new attitudes, new motivations, you're a new creation. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks in terms of receiving Jesus. Um, if you look at Roman numeral 3... Uh, right under, I, you know, I, I kind of summarized what we looked at there when we were on element five, and then I uh, put five recommended foundational articles. Back on that, uh, right behind Stephen and Anvesh there, that rack is what we have what's called foundational articles. Deanna Brown is in charge of that ministry, and she keeps them updated. But I want, I want to make sure that we're using, we can't be like... Uh, Peter uh, exhorts us and Paul exhorts us. Like in Philippians, Paul says that he wants us to be of one mind, striving together for the mission or the faith of the gospel. We can't do that if we're not educated alike. And a big part of what Grace Christian Fellowship is about, maybe the most important part, I don't know, we have different emphasis God has given us, we want to glorify Jesus Christ by doing a rediscovery and lately I've been saying a rethink. Like we want to rethink the Christianity of our culture is in some ways 
the most the least biblical culture in the Bible believing world today. It's in in fact some of the least Bible oriented culture uh, because of paradigms that caused them when they studied the Bible to miss the message. Very similar to the days of that Christ walked on this earth, and because of that, uh, we need to do a rediscovery process and a rethink. And we need to do biblical Christianity from a new basis and new paradigms, right? And, if, and that is foundational to being able to restore or re-implement as a people of God, as a missional community, a cultural way of life that's the culture of the kingdom of God. So, for instance, I was, yesterday I was counseling someone, and I said, I want you to go back with you and your wife a bunch of times and re-listen to the message that John did on hospitality because hospitality has to become part of your culture if you're going to be part of the people of God. You have to be good at making people welcome. You know, Christians have people over. Even if their house is messy, as John said in the message. He's like, my parents have the most disastrous of houses. It's totally, no, I'm just exaggerating. But, but they still have people over. So I'm going to have to get rid of this coffee lid because it's, it's dripping or something. I hope I didn't get any on me. So um, let's get into some of these words. Uh, that pertain to receiving Jesus Christ. The foundational articles, I'd really encourage you to look at those and make sure you've read all of them. They won't uh, tell you much. You can't write much in an article. But they'll at least help you see the tip of the iceberg in issues that we've spent 40-some years rethinking to build a new kind of church. I wouldn't have started a church. I don't like being the head guy. I would love to be at something much more successful where I get paid big bucks to, to, to have a big audience, and, and I'd love to be nice. But, uh, <clears throat> but you, new wine has to be in new wineskins. And if we just keep doing, you know, gradually the culture has been overrun by paganism because the church is not sufficiently Christian anymore. So... Um, Roman numeral four, receiving Jesus Christ in introduction to biblical vocabulary. We're going to look at at least six plus key words today, some of which we touched on last week. Our theme verse is going to be John 1, 11 through 13. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, the whole chapter, John 1 is <clears throat> got about 40 word pictures of Jesus in one chapter. He's the light and so forth, creator. He came to his own people, that is. And his own people did not receive him. So that tells us something right there. You can receive Christ or you cannot receive Christ. Many people go to churches for years and don't receive Christ. Revelation 3.20, when Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and bids me to come in, come in I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's actually spoken to a Christian church where everyone in that church was born again, water baptized, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Many of them were further along in the Lord than you. And Jesus is saying, you got to receive me. So this is not just a one-time thing. This is a way of life. He came to his own people, and they were, 
you know, as John, uh, if you go back and listen to his first element zero of, of his uh, Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, which is the very first podcast when you scroll all the way down that was on uh, the Sunday podcast, sun, regular Sunday service section of the podcast, he did a masterful job of, of showing that everyone in the time of Christ, just like there's certain religious ideas now that are not necessarily biblical, or but they're based on Bible, even though they might be have lost their center and be a little off base or twisted or whatever, everyone was expecting God to do two things in Israel. Bring Messiah or Mashiach, and who is in Greek, Christos. And bring Yahweh, Emmanuel, the Lord with us. So God was going to come into our midst in a new way. They weren't necessarily expecting that to be the same person. But because of their ideas of who that would be, even when he was there in their midst, they didn't recognize him. Now that happens in human life all the time. The greatest player in the NBA today, probably Steph Curry, or possibly, he's certainly in the discussion about it, was passed up by all the big universities when he was in college. Because they said, eh, he's too small, he'll never amount to anything. <laughs> you know? And uh, people's evaluations aren't always correct, but they're just part of the culture that we breathe and live in. So he came to his own people, his own people didn't receive him because they didn't even recognize him. But to all who did receive him, lumbano is the Greek word, who believed in his name, he gave the right, which is sometimes translated authority, exousia is the Greek word, to become children of God. You either have the right to become a child of God or you don't have the right to become a child of God. And in order to have the right, you have to receive him. So you better know what it means to really receive him. You better not just think you've received him because you go to church. Uh, so as many as did receive him, he gave them the authority and the power, we'll see, to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. They weren't born just of human action nor the will of man. We're about to have two babies in our culture and here or in our church here. Uh, that both are being born of the will of God, but they're also being born of the will of their parents. Their parents had to do something about that. Um, it really was something they did. But uh, behold, uh, so he goes on to say, uh, those who were, became the children of God were not born just of the will of man or the will of the flesh, but they were born of God. So when we receive Christ, we're born of God. We're going to look at some of that today okay so first the greek word lumbano i need you to see that it's an action verb it's not a passive verb you know you, i love the saying that there's three kinds of people in the wor world initiators spectators and taters initiators make things happen spectators watch things happen and taters say what happened and uh, so, and uh, we have a culture in America today that, because of video and other reasons, is trying to make a tater out of you. That most people have been, be, our culture, if you want to look at a cultural trend over the last hundred years or so, we're more and more and more becoming taters. So, 
you need to understand receive is an action verb that needs to be done. You know, there's a song we sing, I need you every hour. You have to receive him every minute, every hour. It's a posture of how you live. Who, how are you responding to situations? The way your flesh and your demons and situations, or are you, are you receiving grace from the risen Christ to see God's sovereign care in every situation you're involved in and responding accordingly? Are you receiving him in the midst of that person who misunderstands you or called your wife? No, <laughs> or uh, whatever, <laughs> you know, called your husband. Uh, are you receiving him? Okay, so that word means to take. You know, like little kids will try it, like if they steal a little candy or something at the store, they'll try, like, you know, like uh, the children of Israel did with, you know, with Moses. Well, we, we threw in the, the gold and out came this calf. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't take it. It just, it just got in my pocket somehow. <laughs> you have to take it, choose it, select, admit, seize Carpe diem, seize the day, seize the grace, seize the risen Christ. Lay hold of, to associate with a companion. It's actually a relational word. I like that. Apprehended not, or, or not to let go. Uh, you know, Jacob is a great story in the Bible of someone who received Christ. He wrestled with God, and he said, I'm not letting go of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in your presence. I'm going to keep a hold of you. I'm going to be filled with your spirit. And I'm not letting go till I'm a different guy. That's what it means till you bless me. And God blessed him so much he walked with a limp the rest of his life. You know, that's a saying in Christian circles like your limp is beautiful. And he had to change his name. Because in the Bible, when someone's name is changed, it means their identity was changed, their character. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Saul became Paul. Cephas... Uh, became Simon Peter, and so forth. So, um, note number two in this message, receiving Jesus must contain two inextricably intertwined processes, and they are regeneration and conversion. And hopefully by the time 1020 rolls around, I'm going to have covered regeneration and conversion. Well, a little bit. And you need to memorize that. This is something that you can't really help people. You can't really be used of God if, that, if you don't know that receiving Jesus Christ always involves two th- processes, regeneration and conversion. And if you can't say, I remember the things that converted me. I remember when I went from death to life. I remember when I had that sense for the first time that I was cleansed of my iniquity. And I was in the presence of God. I still remember lots of experiences at the age of 17 where, you know, I'm talking to a Christian. A lot of times it was my mother because she had played a key role in my life, Mother's Day. Shout out to my mother who I talked to this week. And uh, I can just remember, like, talking about drugs and all the stuff I was into and and just kind of crying and, just, and uh, being in the presence of God and just realizing that God had washed me from these things. And I, I felt, I mean, I felt clean for the first time. 
Hopefully you've had experiences with God like that. And hopefully that's a regular ongoing thing for you. But I mean, it was, I, I felt so clean. And I also remember in terms of conversion, I, I remember specifically one night I'm reading my Bible in bed and I'm struggling with God wants me to you know, get totally away from this drug culture and quit doing all this sexual immorality stuff. And, and I just remember uh, that I, after I wrestled with God and read the word and all this, I, you know, it was getting late, so I turned off the light and slid down under the covers. And I'm talking to God in my spirit, and I just go, God, I just want to do what's right. I just want to please you. I just want to do what you want me to do. And I actually sat back up and turned on the light because I was like, what? That came out of my heart? Like, that was never on my agenda before. <laughs> you know, I never had it in my plans. Like, try to do what's pleasing to God. <laughs> that was not something I had given much thought to. And then you start catching yourself saying crazy things. Like, I was talking to one of my buddies about the graduation parties, which were drunken brawls of drug craze, craziness. And... uh and I actually, like, out of nowhere, I go, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go. And he goes, why not? And I said, well, there's going to be a lot of sin in there. <laughs> and I even was like, what the heck did I just, and he, and he actually goes, yeah, that's why I'm going. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe I just said that. Where'd that come from? Some, you know, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Uh, it was I, 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 Bill and Ted reference, but uh, I was like, "Oh my God, what happened? I can't believe I said that." All right, so next thing I want you to know is you need to understand, and this is for yourself and for anyone you're serving. Our culture is centered around two, or you might call them dual lies. One is the myth of neutrality. And the other is the myth of later. So you need to understand from the Bible's perspective, Jesus, Paul, etc., even all the way back to Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for my house, we will serve the Lord. To not choose him is to reject him. There is no neutrality. Okay, Matthew 12.30 and Luke 11.23 Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. <laughs> I'm sharing too many experiences today, but this one is almost too funny. to. I, when I was still being convicted by the Holy Spirit that I needed to quit drugs and all this stuff, and I'm starting to read the Bible, and I'd attended church a couple times, I'm at a like, totally out-of-control drug craze party, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with me uh, about you know, I need to give up drugs and walk with Jesus and all this. And I'm under total conviction in the middle of this party. And one of the, my uh, more demonic friends of my brother, I won't say he had a nickname, but uh, it was Sugarfoot, so you probably wouldn't know who you so I'm, Hopefully he's out there somewhere still today. I don't know. But all of a sudden, the music stopped, and this really demonic guy stares me right in the eyes, and he goes, well, whose side are you on? <laughs> and I was like, whoa. You know, but you know what? There is a spiritual world that's all around us. There are thousands of spiritual beings in this room right now. 
And the whole world every day is asking, who, who do people say that I am? Whose side are you on? Uh, you know, that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for those who believe. If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you. My. There's the, the, the biggest lies of our culture is I can do it later. I could get serious with God someday. Why would, what makes you think that is so presumptuous, by the way. It's one of the deepest sins. What makes you think that if you don't really want everything in God now, that you're going to want more of God later? What presumptuous thought would lead you to think that? If you don't want more, all that God has for you now, do you think you're going to want it when the kids are grown up or we have a better house or the mortgage is paid off or, or whatever you're putting when I have a you know, really attractive girlfriend? You know, I'll get around to doing what you want me to do someday, Lord. That is one of the deepest deceptions. People who have that in their spirit never grow. They stay taters, spectators in terms of the things of God. They go to church, but they're not filled with the Spirit. They're not on fire. They're not excited about the things of God. They're not doing the stuff, making the sacrifices, leading people to Christ, becoming fruitful, because they're going to get around to it later. That's why they actually have little round things that have T-U-I-T printed on it so that you can give them to people and say, here, since you're always saying, I'll do this when I get around to it, here's a round to it. Old joke. Um, To choose, uh, by the way, the myth of neutrality is a doctrine of your sin nature, by the way. There's plenty of demons who will help you along with that as well. Not to choose for him is to choose against him. Not to receive him is to reject him. Not to follow him is to continue to follow yourself. My own ideas. I determine what I want and how I should be treated and what I sh- my priorities should be. And It's an amazing part of our culture, even in Christian circles, everyone who's interviewed about any topic They'll discuss this and this, and then you'll hear the guy go, well, this is what I think, as if like what I think is some sort of God reality. I don't care what I think. One of the reasons I memorize so many scriptures and I quote so many scriptures whenever I counsel and talk is because I really don't actually care what I think. Why should you care what I think? The reason we're getting together is to seek God about what he thinks. If I give you anything less than what God thinks, you might as well have not come. Who cares what you think or I think? It's not really that important. What I think and $1.90 will get you a cup of plain coffee at Starbucks. Um, Maybe. I haven't been there in a while, so I'm going to cost more now. 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 1 through 2 says, when We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't be deceived that you thought you received the grace of God when you really haven't. Then it's to no avail. For he says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, 
in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, coming up when I finish college and when I don't have this difficult job or this tough circumstance. Wait, I'm sorry, that's the modern translation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Your flesh has all sorts of things that it wants to substitute for now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Matthew 6, 33 through 34, you know, all of Matthew 6, 19 through 34 is a great section on not being anxious, and anxious means to serve two masters and to live out of your own perspective rather than living out of God's perspective. So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for each day has enough problems of its own. I think the King James says, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. In other words, don't borrow from what might happen tomorrow because you can't afford the interest rates on that. Well, what if the kids, this happens when they're 12. <laughs> you know, don't, you don't have grace for fantasy. You have grace for the reality of what God's called you to do today, but you don't have grace for the imaginations of what might happen two weeks from now. You can find no grace for what's possible, only for what is. That's huge. You have the grace, you can find the grace today. No temp, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a scripture every Christian should have memorized. No temptation has overtaken you today, but what is common to man. You're not, what you're going through is not different than whatever everyone else goes through. That's another big lie of your flesh I'm the only one that ever had a tough boss or that a nagging wife or a nagging husband, for that matter. <laughs> My wife knows all about nagging husbands, but uh, she's an expert. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're the, like, you're the only one who's ever had this, right? That's one of the ways Satan tries to keep you isolated in yourself. Uh now, Matthew eleven twelve, another verse you should, you should have memorized. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and lollygaggers take it by lollygagging. Oh, wait, that's the modern translation. I keep getting these hyper-modern translations. People just meander into it. It just sort of comes upon you while you're laying in your bed thinking about these things. <laughs> really? You know, one of the things I, one of the reasons I advocate fasting is fasting right about 14 hours into a fast, you're going to start discovering who's in charge. And you're going to learn how to tap into the grace of God because you can't get through it without the power of God. And you're going to find out how controlled you are by every emotion, appetite, immediate perspective, and shallow thing that's possible. And you are a total slave to all kinds of really small things that, that have you bound. And salvation is getting set free as we're going to press on, hopefully, to see. Let's look, get into re regeneration. Galatians 2.20, by the way, a verse that I advocate memorizing, says this, I have been crucified with Christ, 
And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this body, I live by trusting and clinging to, relying on following Christ, right? Who gave himself for me. Now, that not that a nice verse? But you need to think about something a little bit. Crucifixion was a really violent thing. Like, if you came over to my house and you were, you know, my good friend, and you said, Greg, would you like me to crucify you? I might say, nah, not particularly. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, I, would, I, I think I could die for Christ easier than be tortured. And, you know, crucifixion was uh, an instrument to, to, that was designed to kill by the maximum amount of pain and torture they could come up with. That's what you're called to. People always wonder, like, I'm going through such trials. What is God trying to kill me? Now you're starting to get it. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you asked him to come into your heart, and he's, he took you seriously, and he's, he came to kill you. Welcome to the Christian life. <laughs> and it's going to be bloody, and it's going to be painful. And part of growing up is don't do like this Hollywood dying, like, oh, 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 God has called me to get up early every morning. And oh, I, I got the most terrible husband. And oh, you know, don't bleed all over the place. My wife likes to confront me like she, you're a whiner. Stop whining. <laughs> you know, like I like to like make a scene of it when God's called me to die. Especially in the privacy of my own home, <laughs> you know. And she's like, eh, I got no sympathy for you, wife. You deserve everything you're going to get. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. All right. Regeneration, the new birth, born again, made alive, quickened in the King James, becoming a new creation. Uh, look up Colossians 2, 13 through 14 yourself. John 5, 21 and 24 and 25. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he wishes. These passages are not about physical death and resurrection, although later in the chapter he addresses this. This is about coming to spiritual life, being born again, becoming a new creation in Christ. And here's how it happens. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. It's interesting that some of the people who most need to hear this message are not in the room right now. Hmm. Always works that way. Don't miss church when Satan wants you to miss church or your flesh wants you to miss church. Most people miss church when not when God wants them to miss, but when their flesh wants them to miss. Uh, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now, eternal life is knowing God, John 17, 3. And does not, it's not going to heaven. And it does, he does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Uh oh Truly, truly, it's a good thing we don't have new carpet. Truly, truly, I say to you, uh, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, read the reverse negative. Those who don't hear will not live. That's one of the reasons why when somebody 
uh, comes around to where they want to grow in the Lord and they want to get together and they want to start reading the Bible and seeking the Lord, one of the things I always ask them is, are you experiencing the joy, the power, the peace, the flow of God's Spirit? Are you hearing the voice of the Son of God? Are you learning how to get rid of the other voices? Do you hear God saying, what a screw-up, what a shame, in the voice of condemnation or discouragement? Or do you hear him saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? And, And do you hear the voice of God calling you to conviction and confession and repentance and newness of life, changing your motivations? Do you have things going off inside you that, oh man, I just want to do what's right, God. I just want to please you. I just, I just want to appropriate your grace to be a different kind of husband or whatever. That's what it means. You, do you hear the voice of God speaking to you? So That's the difference between going to church and t- still being spiritually dead and coming forth into life. had a lot of meetings recently and recently I met with someone who because they hadn't had been in chance to have been in very good churches or had much input from other people and they kind of grown on their own for the most part and stuff they had a a lot of misunderstandings and different things like that but what was clear is they could they still could hear the voice of God the scriptures and the Holy Spirit that you know, they, that doesn't mean we don't need to hear the voice of God through each other and be discipled and all that. But can you hear the voice of God speaking through your pastor, your brother, by the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures to you as you're reading them? Do you sense the power of God flowing in your life? That's what happens if you're really born again. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I wish I could go through the whole passage Please understand that Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is always taught upon. And then they stop at verse 11. And you've got to look at verse 11 to 22. I don't have time for that today. But you've got to look at all of that as one thought, or else you'll get uh, verse 1 through 11. If you stop there, you'll get this radically individualistic, me, personal, savior kind of Christianity. But the whole chapter is about what God does to each person to put them in the commonwealth of Israel, in the body of Christ, in the church, in the people of God. So I wish I could develop that further, but develop it for yourself. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Lazarus didn't say, be a good day to hear the voice of Jesus and get up and start walking again. Right? When you're dead, you're dead. I've been to a lot of funerals. Sometimes I go up and, you know, yep, he's dead. In which you formerly walked. You you were by nature children of wrath. Are you still by nature? Has your nature changed? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Lazarus, come forth. Not only did Jesus speak that, he gave Lazarus the ability to hear it. Right? Because Lazarus had to actually receive the grace, that word, and start to walk out. And his and someone said, unbind him. You know, he's, his, uh, his uh, bandages are a little stiff. 
right? But he still had to hear and respond. But it was the grace of God that you can't hear when you're dead. Boy, I gotta, I need another hour. Uh, dang. Conversion. Let's move on. Conversion. You, you, you understand, the reason I'm kind of preaching this is this is, I'm trying to reach your heart. Some people go to church every week, but you, the, you, these have got to become your realities to get, you know, some of us are still kind of in the starting blocks of our Christian life sometimes. Conversion means to turn. You become something different after, you re, after your spirit is quickened. And that involves words that we're going to study next week like conviction, confession, repentance, renunciation, and following. Amos 3.3 says, Do two people travel together without having made an agreement? You know, the problem you and God have right from the start is you're incompatible. And he doesn't change. And it's kind of like the old story of the person who liked to pet the cat this way. And the cat's head was here, and the cat was being petted backwards. And the cat's going, And so the guy finally says, turn around, stupid. (laughs) You know, uh, I think it's okay to call a cat stupid, maybe. Uh, So you can debate that theologically at lunchtime today. Um, But you know what? God God is only petting one way. And being converted means to stop going your way. You've been... I did it my way, Frank Sinatra. That's probably the most demonic song in the history of the human race. I pulled myself up from my boot traps, and no one tells me what to do, and I did it for my glory and by my strength. When people have that, you know, strong, vigorous young men kind of thing inside them, I love when they get baptized in the Spirit. I prophesy over them and say, You're in for a heck of a ride. (laughs) God's going to beat the crap out of you until you learn how to lean on his strength. Until you got no strength left. Now, let's move on to Exousia. To those who received him, he gave the right. Exousia is translated, interestingly, as authority 33 times and as power 70 times in the New Testament, uh, using the King James Version. You can actually look up different versions how many times. They're slightly different sometimes. But authority and power. When you become a child of God, you receive both. They're inextricably intertwined. And I always like to use the analogy of a traffic cop. A traffic cop has a uniform and a badge, whistle, stuff like that. That's a symbol of his authority, that he's working for the city of Dayton, which is a city in the Montgomery County, in the state of Ohio, in the United States of America. And he also has a gun, which he's not likely to use when you go through the red light. <laughs> Although maybe Officer Diaz would have liked to. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but he, has this, he has the ability to call in as much power as is needed to make you stop. You say, ah, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, he's going like this, I'm just going to drive through. Now, he's probably not going to use one instrument of his power and just shoot you right there, because that would 
not be politically correct. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but he's going to call other cops, and they're going to and, and if they have to, they're going to call the sheriff of the county, and they're going to call the national guard, whatever it takes. They're going to stop you. And when you receive Christ, you receive the power and the authority to be children of God. Now, the most noticeable thing about children is not just that little Israel looks like Taylor and little Joy looks like Davion. It's that little Israel acts like Davion and Taylor. Right? That's why we say about a son, he's a chip off the old block. He's just like his father. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, when you become a child of God, you'll become like him. You'll have his values, his motivations, his attitudes, his priorities, his mission. And when you receive him, you get the right and the power to become a child of God. So that, you know, of course, don't do this just to be ornery. Someone, you know, wifey comes up to me and says, what are you doing? And I'm like, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? <laughs> you know, you should be able to say that. What am I doing? That which God wants me to be doing. The way he wants me to do it at the time he wants me to do it and why he wants me to do it. Well, I ran out of time again. Jeez. If you get these words, it will start you down the right path. Next week, we'll look at salvation, saved, saved. Whenever uh, John and Emily's baby's born, I'm going to probably have to uh, speak twice. There used to be an old preacher that would put a lifesaver in his mouth and and whenever the lifesaver was finally dissolved, he would just end the message. I'm just warning you that when, uh, whenever John and Emily uh, are gone and, and I get to preach both services, at the second service, I'm going to pop a button in my mouth. <laughs> and when the button's gone, I'm going to stop preaching. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Amen.